Welcome to the Sea Press Podcast, a podcast from the Presbytery of Seattle that invites you into conversations about issues and topics that are meaningful to the church and its people. Today, we're joined by the Reverend Dr. J. Herbert Nelson, stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church USA and a colleague and a good friend. Welcome, Jay Herbert, to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, no, it's great. It's always good to, to chat with you. Well, my first question to you is what we've been asking all of our guests. How are you doing in the midst of COVID-19? <laughs> I am um, bunkered in at home and uh, pretty much have limited most of my movement toward home. But with uh, all of the electronic devices around me, I guess I can still communicate with the rest of the world. And that's a good thing. Well, you know, one of the things that um, I've always enjoyed so much that you have uh, set as a foundation for your leadership uh, with the PCUSA has been the refrain that we are a church that is not dying, but rather reforming. And some would say that uh, that is never more true than now when we're caught in the midst of a pandemic and we've had to adapt and adapt quickly. I'm wondering what you are thinking, what you're seeing and hearing that would lead you to believe that that is true and, and maybe highlight some challenges that you see facing this denomination uh, while we're in the middle of this pandemic and also some uh, repercussions afterwards. Well, I think one of the challenges that we are facing, and I think we're having to face it based on this pandemic, and that is that we are more operating out of a old machine. It's almost like a new car, that, or I should say an old car that we've had for some years. And it starts having a lot of hiccups and problems and things are changing in terms of the industry. But we have uh, remained the same. And eventually you have to go and figure out how to get a new automobile that catches up with everything else. And as hard as it is departing from the one that you have been so used to, the reality is that it's not as useful now as it has been. And it takes a lot more to get it going than it has in the past. And I think that's where we are in the Presbyterian Church USA. I don't think we are alone in that. There are other mainline Protestant denominations that are struggling with the same thing. I would even suggest that there are other denominations that are not Protestant that are struggling. Christendom, I think, is at a place where we have to begin to look at the context in which we are in. And what this pandemic has done, it has forced us into a place where we have to be cognizant of, first of all, how, uh, what is a new way of being able to communicate with one another? And just the fact that we are communicating right now over a device where we can see each other and yet at the same time have clarity of thought and thinking through issues and having meetings. And we're finding a number of ways through electronic media to make that happen. And I mean, we're real about it. There are churches that have advanced into this area some years ago or at least we're exploring with it with younger pastors. But now we're all forced to do it. And no matter what the age or where we are, rural, or whether we're in a city, we're having to find ways to not just be in touch as a denomination, but to be in touch with our own family and friends. And so as the world is evolving, uh, it is pushing us to evolve as well. It's not necessarily that we're leading the world, uh, but that the world is leading us to some places that I think will make us stronger. And communication is just one part of it how we appropriate faith in the days ahead will be another. We are going to lose some churches during this pandemic. People are dying who oftentimes we have depended on to keep the church doors open financially and otherwise. 
And what does that now mean if they do not give their endowments to our church, uh, but they give them elsewhere? How do we begin to now have relationships with the church that's 10 miles down the road that we said we would never ever merge with, uh, but neither one of us are able anymore to support the buildings that we have. We are faced with some challenges across the board after the fallout of this pandemic, and I think it's forcing us to be the church that we probably were called to be 20, 25 years ago, but now we're being forced into that just simply by the crisis that's in front of us. I think besides financial considerations, which obviously we're going to have to factor in, what would you say are some theological and sociological um, considerations that, or, or interpretations that we're going to have to provide to our churches and to the denomination to move in that direction of change? Well, we are seeing uh, through this pandemic a uh, new, I would say a new uh, round of poor people. The ones who have been on the street have been there and who have been poor historically are there. But as I look at persons now who cannot go to their jobs and who are not getting paid. As I look to at individuals who have seniority on jobs that are paying well now because they've been on that job for a long time, but yet now these same companies are struggling. I'm thinking about the, the big challenge that's going on now with some of these meat companies where individuals are afraid to go to work. And much of that is in the South and other parts of the United States where there's probably not a high grade with regards to income coming in for that type of work. But the reality is that it cannot be done without workers. And so what does this mean in the challenge that we've had over the years where companies have been making uh, massive amounts of money off of cheap labor? And how does that make a turn in the industry itself? And we are already seeing incentives actually being given, particularly around meatpacking companies, because the virus that we have right now uh, is contaminating many of those poultry companies, and I should say meat companies, and they're finding themselves not able to go to work. And so the incentives are becoming much higher for that type of work. Will we remain there? I think that's a question that uh, has to be answered. But at the same time, it is because of this pandemic that we are beginning to see now I think, a different value uh, with regards to uh, the American worker. Yet, on the other hand, we're still living out another contradiction of that, and that is telling people to risk their own health to go back to nail shops and a number of things that we're seeing now, which actually putting persons' lives in peril on one end, but on the other end, it is taking the cheapest labor markets and sending people to those markets to work. Right. which means the poorest people are going back to work to help refuel an economy, while, again, the rich still remains rich, or they become richer off of this, and the poor become poorer. And so we're still dealing with this juggernaut of injustice, even in this period of time, over against individuals having an opportunity to work, uh, to earn a living, because the companies that have exploited them now find themselves in a situation where they can't do without those workers. So... I think we're in that juggernaut, and how that plays out comes down, I think, again, to the leadership of those in high places. Um, and certainly, the, and when I say high places, not just our Congress, but also advocates on the ground throughout this country, pastors and church leaders, as to how much we will actually stand up for workers in the coming days, because it will impact us as well. So I have to ask, in a situation like this, um, what opportunities do you see are available to the church? You've named some of the challenges for the church and challenges for our society, but within those challenges, would you say that there are identifiable opportunities for the church to step in and be the church? 
Absolutely. I, I think the right now, you know, it has always been somewhat true in the United States and around the world that when we are facing difficult times, it is always a great opportunity for the church because people tend to look at faith a little differently mm-hmm. uh, as a possibility for healing, as a possibility for getting beyond where they are. I've tried, a, I've tried all of these things uh, that I can see. Now let me try this thing that, quite frankly, I can't see, but some people say that this is the only way they can make it. And faith becomes very much a part of that, of that rubric of life shifting and changing. I think the, uh, we're in, again, another moment, and I don't think those moments are just uh, related to pandemics and crises. I think that uh, our moments of hope for what it means for the church is every opportunity that we have for someone to be able to transform and change their lives. But in massive pandemics and struggles like we are facing right now, I think it's an opportunity for the church to come out and be a leader and to not hide uh, our light under a bushel, but instead uh, to truly be visible in this period of time in appropriating the gospel uh, as a significant measure uh, of transforming the world that we're in and and whole communities of people uh, in particular. I guess one of the examples that I've seen of that is the number of pastors uh, who have done, who who came out right after this was over and they started doing some real significant work. And the joke is being told across our denomination that um, within one week after we hit this pandemic, uh, Presbyterian pastors, all of them uh, turned into television evangelists. We we found a way to appropriate the gospel uh, through social media. When for many of our pastors, social media was just not something that they would even think about because of how they saw it as something that was faddish. It really was not anything that was significant. Now we are finding that to be one of the only ways uh, that we can communicate Sunday after Sunday. And I think those kinds of experiments that we have been cautious uh, not to become trapped in now we begin to look at it with a level of responsibility that we have never looked at before and that our eyes have just been shielded from it because of the fears of what the image might be of the church. Um, and we in our national church offices have had to struggle with some of our own policies with regards to communion. What do people do when they can't come to church and get communion? And our policies clearly said that, in a sense, the place by which that is done is in the church, and it begins in that particular Mm -hmm. place. And pastors, again, became very, very clear uh, that they they were going to continue to serve communion and that our rulings didn't matter very much when it came (laughs) down. And so we are national headquarters, even though years of ecumenical relationships brought us to these places of how to serve communion, and they bind us together in our ecumenical relationships, we had to take a step forward and say, no, we are going to have to find a way to help these pastors who find themselves in some unusual circumstances of uh, giving communion as, as last rites now. And it's not in the church where that happens, and it's not in their home. It's sometimes in a hospital emergency room. What does that now mean for the church to be uh, to look at some of its own ways of doing things and to declare we have to do something different in this period? And I don't see that regressing. I, I think we're going to have to continue to do that from this point on, and we're going to have to become a new church. And I think all of Christendom is going to have to look at itself anew in order to be relevant in the 21st century. 
So someday in the history books, um, our great-great-grandchildren will read about J. Herbert Nelson, who was the, uh, quote, pandemic stated clerk of the PCSA. <laughs> what what did, would you like to have been the legacy of your leadership time, particularly in light during and after the pandemic? You know, I have, whether by choice or by God's own will, ended up in places where change fell upon me. It was not necessarily my thinking that I was coming in to change. And I remember even in my earliest pastorate, uh, when I started in North Carolina as an ordained pastor, I'd been pastoring some small churches before that, not, not ordained while in seminary. But it was really interesting during those times that the issue in my first call was about change. How do you turn a church that, uh, when I looked out at that congregation on Sunday morning, as one of my friends said to me at my uh, ordination and installation, said that uh, if you stay here 20 years, you're almost going to bury a church. And it was an older congregation. They were well-to-do financially. They were some good, faithful people to the life of the church. But two years later, in the second and third year, I should say, that I was there, I buried 52 people. Um, And Mm. so my friend, who was a seminary classmate of mine, was quite right that that was something that I had to really look at with, forget, with regards to contextual change. That was no different when I went to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, decided that I wanted to work with the poor uh, and started the church to that evangelized the poor to the Presbyterian church. It was again a struggle with the denomination over the legitimacy of that church because these individuals are not Presbyterian. There were two Presbyterians in there who were in favor of starting this church and held out over three pastors that preceded me who failed in that ministry. And yet they held on, those two persons, to continue that work and said, we're going to call another pastor, and they did. And that was not something that persons in the Presbyterian office really wanted to see happen. But uh, I stayed there 13 years. That became a piece of contextual change, again, uh, as that church still exists today and still invites the poor into membership. Beyond that, uh, it was the Washington office, which had gone under study for two years. It's been shut down, and uh, I came in as the next leader of that office. We were able, again, to establish change that continues to work and do well in Washington under Jimmy Hawkins, who's now leading that. And now here in the national office, it was the same thing all over again, a state of clerk. Um, what are the transitions we have to make in the 21st century? And this pandemic adds to the need for us to begin to look at those realities. So. Contextual change is what I would like to be seen as a person who has come in, who has seen the work that needs to be done, engaged it uh, with as much courage as I possibly could, and even more than that, leaning heavily on what the Lord's requirements were for that ministry. And from there, just pushing forward on faith, um, taking chances, uh, losing sometimes some ground because all of it didn't work, but pulling that piece off of it that did work and putting it in place and allowing that to grow in a different way. So willing to risk failure if necessary in order to make contextual change for the future. I think that's what I hope to be remembered for and that's been the work I've been doing. I so appreciate that. And so many of us are are there alongside you in that belief. I also think in some of the conversations we've had is that this has been an opportunity and that you have called us to reorient the church into where it's casting its gaze. And some of it, um, as we've talked in the past, has been a a self and inward look that the church continues to do. And in some ways, this pandemic has forced many of our churches to look outwardly. Are there stories or 
or situations that you've heard of or, or been told about of our local churches doing that kind of outward gaze um, in their community to see who has not been historically seen or traditionally seen, and now the church needs to stand alongside them. I've, uh, I've not seen personally, uh, and I say personally in the sense that I've not been up, up close on it because we've all been kind of bunkered down. But the reports that I'm getting from the ground, uh, I'm looking at congregational leaders who are challenged now to find ways of communicating. I think through social media is one way. But how do you really begin to get engaged on a level of being in the place of the greatest resistance to the gospel? And at this point, it is actually the pandemic. And pastors who have uh, signed up as volunteer chaplains who never thought that they would do that before. They were comfortable in their sanctuaries, but there was some yearning and pulling of the spirit that drew them to the streets and into hospital rooms, risking their own lives, taking what little pastoral care they have known. Uh, and anyone who's been to seminary realizes that unless you put your major down and basically say, this is where I want to be, is pastoral care that what we really get is uh, more of being able to tend to a congregation. But now they are standing in rooms uh, as volunteer chaplains risking their own lives. I think that's a challenging piece. I think the other part is rethinking ministry. There have been pastors who have had a hundred ideas uh, running around in their head as to how a church could change. But in looking out at that congregation they were in, it was very clear to them that nobody in that congregation wanted to make any contextual change. They loved that church just as it is, as it was. And now they are beginning to take some bold steps and say some bold things uh, that they probably did not before, that you will die, this church will die, if we do not figure out how to engage this pandemic and the changes it's going to bring in the community. And I've heard that kind of preaching on Sunday morning over uh, uh, social media as I flipped from place to place, listening to pastors who said, I know you're not going to like this. And I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. When we get back to this church, and even now, if we are not able to find ourselves in a new way of acting, we will not have a church. And it will not be because of the pandemic. It will be because we have failed to act in these times. I've seen some boldness, uh, some Holy Ghost boldness uh, in the lives of pastors and the church leaders through this pandemic to say some things and to do some things that, quite frankly, I don't think they felt the freedom to do it. And they had their minds oftentimes, as many of us do, on being able to support a family in this church. So I need to stay here. But now the risk is even. Uh, if we don't change, there won't be a church anyway. And if we do change, we're actually changing into something that's possible as opposed to looking at it as impossible because of the years we've been here. And I think that right now is what I'm seeing in the heart and minds of some pastors who have really said, I've got to, I have to change me and I have to change the way I appropriate faith and have some courage in these times to speak truth as opposed to continuing to follow the rubric that gives me a, a, a paycheck uh, every other week and uh, playing it safe. And I think that right now is happening and these times are allowing that to happen. We've got pastors who, um, at least in Seattle Presbytery, who've been doing church differently for now almost eight weeks. Some of them are tired. Some are getting to the place of burnout. Everything, all indications are that we will probably not be able to go back into our church buildings probably through the summer. 
and that will be in and out of quarantine and isolation for the next 12 to 18 months. What words of encouragement, of strength or comfort would you offer these local pastors and their sessions? Well, I think first of all, this is not the first time that we've been through this as a church. Uh, churches have had to sustain themselves through uh, conflict internally. We've had to deal with conflict from the outside uh, with regards to the legitimacy of our churches and communities uh, that we apparently seem not to belong, or at least persons in that community felt we didn't need to be there. We've had to struggle with war and folks coming back from war uh, and the death of loved ones that we've had to bury over and over again. I, I, I go back to those that song or that hymn, The Church of Christ uh, in Every Age. Uh, we, are, we have a calling, um, and this is not a job. And it's difficult at every level right now. We are uh, having to think about our own well-being and what that means while at the same time thinking about the well-being of others. And these are not easy decisions. And over time, they never really have been. I believe even in times when the church seemed to be doing well, we were either establishing the route to a crisis uh, or we were already in a crisis and did not know it. Ministry is tough and it is tough work. And I think in the midst of it, we have to find the best ways that we can take care of ourselves. Uh, I think we have to follow uh, a great deal of what we have been hearing from uh, the CDC and other places of legitimacy. And certainly we've heard a lot of things that weren't legitimate with regards to how to heal ourselves in this process. But I think at the core, what pastors have always had to be cognizant of is the issues around self-care. We have to also, in the same way of trying to help others, we have to take the time that we need to step back in that context, not waiting until we burn out. But in that context, to be able to step back and say, I need these days for myself and find ways by which to extend the life of the congregation by empowering individuals in that congregation to take on some of the pastoral duties uh, and to be trained to do that. So here is a great time, I think, to expand our ministries and our thinking around ministry as to we are not the only ministers. Mm. Uh, Everyone in that church is signing up to be a minister. And how do we help them become trained? And I am seeing in this pandemic more stations and places that are outside of the church being willing now to do that uh, so that they can have also individuals who are prepared to deal with the larger context of community and to help individuals in these particular times. And so how do we get our people to those kinds of training possibilities? And how do we find individuals who are willing to come into our congregational settings to reiterate the need for self-care uh, and the need during this pandemic to not be careless in how we live, but instead to follow the guidelines. And so uh, how do we enlist help? And how do we do things together where two, three churches lined up down the block don't have to do the same thing at every church, but instead can find ways, whether it be with other denominational cultures or even within our own, to share a vision of what it means to empower people now in our pews to do the work of faith. That's what ministry is about. It's not about us doing all of the work. It's about empowering people to do the work of Jesus Christ in the streets and everywhere else. A good word, a good word for us all. So I have to end by asking you a question that I'm very curious about. When this is over and you're able to leave your house, what's the first thing you wanna do? I really want to get back into the transformative change that we've been a part of in this denomination. 
Much of that has to do with the understanding that this is a new period of history and not just because of a pandemic, we were in it long before. And our denomination has been through uh, some years of crises with regards to trying to figure out how to keep the old rubric alive. Uh, and we've been fighting over that. And I think right now we have gotten beyond that struggle. And the question has been now what? And in the midst of the now what, we run into this pandemic. I think one of the major pieces that we are going to need to look at when this is all over is what is the construct in the place of the church in communities in the 21st century? We know what it is now uh, in a pandemic, uh, forced upon us, we didn't choose this one. But the reality is, after all of the dust clears, what does it mean for us to truly be the church in the context of whole communities and cities, and even in this nation, after we have gotten through this. I was in a meeting just yesterday and a, I was in with the leaders of the communion. There were actually 40, 40 plus of us in dealing with virtual media and having a, a meeting of an ecumenical group that we've been in for some years and been working with. And they found out about, well, they didn't find out, but uh, the announcement was made by the chair that we were going to be as the Presbyterian Church USA, the leaders of how to have a meeting of, a, of our denomination in a time when we're going through a pandemic and we're gonna to have to do this by a media, virtual meeting. He leaned over and said it out loud. He said, Jay Herbert, we're counting on you and the Presbyterians to show us. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure whatsoever because we are the first ones and they don't meet until next year. Um, and so, one of the things that I think is how do we lead the way in transformative communities? How do we lead the way within Christian? And it's not just Presbyterians, but how do we lead the way as people of faith uh, in taking the reins right now and in moving forward throughout and to say that Christendom has a place in every sector of people's lives? And not just in the dabbling of people's sins, but dabbling in how people overcome those sins and how we all overcome it together, because we all set to be able to make this place a much better place than what we see right now. I am convinced that leadership in this nation, uh, when you send people back to work uh, in a pandemic, it's at its lowest part and lowest piece whatsoever. I mean, I've never seen it this low, to be honest with you, in my lifetime. Uh, when you know you're sending people to death in order to keep the money mill of a nation alive. When you're saying to individuals that um, you can take uh, uh, household products and cleanse yourself and then say, well, that's a joke. Uh, it's not a joke. It's reality because it's consistent with what has been said all before. Uh, and that is that our lives are not worthy of the kind of attention that we want to give them. Uh, let's commodify everything and let's give the rich and the famous more and more money. Let's offer these corporations millions of dollars while people who are in mom and pop shops are told to go back to work in a pandemic, knowing that that's where most poor people will gather in those places and they will find themselves dying on the vine. They are now the experiment. There is something backwards about the way we're moving this nation. And I think that uh, what I would say in going back to work and, and when things are normalized a little bit more, even in our own culture, we have to, as pastors, take on these tough issues of what it means to love people. That's really what Jesus talked about. Love mm. the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, your neighbor as yourself. How do we deeply love people? And how do we measure our work in faith 
as how deeply we are willing to love. What are we willing to do in our own lives to give up for the gospel of Jesus Christ? What sacrifices are we willing to make? And yes, that's wearying. Yes, that's tiring. But it is also the cross. And I think oftentimes in our faith today, we leave the cross out of it. Uh, and we try to make this a happy, clappy kind of thing. We try to make everybody feel good about it. This faith was never meant for everybody to feel good about it. It is a test of our internal fortitude. It is a test of who we are in loving our neighbors. It is a test of whether we are willing to follow Jesus all the way, even unto a cross. And that really means everyone has a cross to bear. And I think that's the challenge of 21st century theology. How do we get back to the basics of what our faith is about and live it out in the context in which we are facing right, facing right now, no matter how difficult? no matter how tired, no matter how weary, uh, no matter how many meetings we have to go to over and over again, and how many people come up to us, even when we've done the best that we possibly could, and they say, you're not done enough. But we figure out a way to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, am I worthy? And to hear the words, well done, well done, that good and faithful servant, well done. But we have to have open ears and open minds and open spirits to do that. And so we have to be ready and prepared. And I think this can be a preparatory time and a time of great practice for the church uh, if we are willing to engage the contextual realities that we're facing right now. We can become the church God wants us to be. Jay Herbert is always such a tremendous pleasure uh, and inspiration to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for this opportunity. And I, I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate you too, my friend. Take care. All right. Blessings to you.